Welcome to Connected, a podcast with Jess. That's me. Connections are the secret to a whole life. Recognizing the connections between us and within us, mind, body, and soul, reveals the fullest potential of our humanity. Join me as I discover what connects us to each other and to ourselves. Your mind, body, and soul were not meant to live disconnected from each other. Putting all the beautiful parts of you into one breathtakingly whole experience is what you deserve. As a life coach, I work to support your story. Together, we can set free the story of you. I bring guests onto my show so that you can hear powerful stories of other women all across the world. I want you to see how profoundly important living and telling stories is. You can find out more about working with me on my website at jessicatravis.com. I hope to hear from you soon. Okay, so today on the Connected Podcast, I have an old friend um, who uh, we go way back to, gosh, even when I met my husband and um, have a lot of, um, you know, history in our um, high school years. So um, today I have Rebecca Lujan Loveless. I knew her as Becca Lou. And um, so I am really excited to have her on here because we actually haven't talked for many years. So this is going to be an exciting conversation for me. So um, Rebecca, I ask my guests to introduce themselves. And so I'm going to let you tell me, who are you? Yeah. Well, Jessica, thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm super excited to reconnect. It's been so many decades um, I can't believe that I just met your grandson. That's, that's wild. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. My, no. the synapses in my brain are not computing this, no. but, um, yeah, so I'm Rebecca Lujan Loveless. Um, trying to think of what I want to say about myself. Um, I was born and raised on Maui, Hawaii, which is where Jessica and I met. Um, is that where we met? Yeah. You met, and that's where I met Casey, my husband, yeah. but y- you two met, on a different yeah. experience, yeah. different trip. So, so I knew Casey, I knew Casey a couple of years before I met Jessica. Um, cause we were doing mission trips together, um, through Europe and Russia one summer. So, um, and then he ended up moving to Maui to do some, some mission school training, um, where I lived. So that's kind of how, um, our, our, my, my connection with the Travis family and, um, I now live in Sacramento, California. I am um, in a couple weeks going to be moving to Los Angeles um, with my family. So yeah, that's kind of a little bit about me. Yeah, and you have had you've had quite a journey since I've known you because uh, about the time that I left the island, I think you headed 
to the mainland as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Moved into uh, the community that I was a part of. So got to know you um, in our social circles back back home for me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. in Arizona. Uh, Yeah. And I'm thinking I have an a picture in my mind of you dancing with my brother at my wedding. Yeah. I'm thinking. No, like, actually, I think I danced with your brother at someone else's wedding. Oh, probably. Yes, because everyone wanted me to, to like, get with Cole. Everyone was like, yeah. oh, my gosh, he's such a good guy. You guys would be so perfect together. And we danced we danced with each other at a, at a wedding. And then we were both like, I don't think there's, there's no sparks there. So... <laughs> But I did dance, uh, I did do country line dancing at your wedding, which I have only ever done once in my entire life. So and yeah, I think that was the last time we all did that. <laughs> so I, don't I think do we've remember that about your wedding. <laughs> yeah, everybody surprised us with a line dance they had practiced. And yeah. we were, n- we did not have that group of people in our social circle. Everybody was like grunge, like total that's so 90s. Yeah, that's so funny. So, yeah. Um, so I got married and moved away from Arizona. What happened to you? Where did you yeah. go? What did you do? Cause I know you got married not long after us. Yeah. So here's a question for you. How, uh-huh. how I'm going to, I'll tell you, yeah. I'll tell you as much as you want to know, how much of this do you want to like me to get into like the religious aspect of my life and kind of how, how that affected my journey? Um, as much as you want to, I know for you and I, we, we both have a similar story in being in paid ministry, mm-hmm. um, being pastor's wives, mm-hmm. <laughs> being in that whole, um, um, avenue that we, we yeah. set out to, to have as a purpose in our life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've both walked far, far away from all uh, of that. Yeah. So I know that we have a, we have a similar story there, but yeah. we did this uh, separate from each other. We yeah. didn't do this, um, you know, staying in contact. In fact, I remember going to use specialty conferences and seeing your name on the, uh, like, <laughs> or <youth> specialty, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. That's crazy. <laughs> wow. So, but I, you ended up in Florida for a long time. I do know that yeah. much. And yeah. I stayed here on the West coast. Yeah. And, um, so we just, um, I, I only knew what was going on really through social media. So yeah. And that kind of came years later too. So there yeah, was it did. Yeah. Right. But I am, I am curious. I mean, you, you met Josh got, and you guys got married. Um, yeah. did you live right away in Florida or had you? Uh, yeah. So I went, so I went from Arizona to, and I, I did my, my discipleship training school in England and in India and I moved from England to Florida. So I was 19 when I moved to, to Florida, um, met, had met my husband, um, who was my boyfriend at the time when we were 16. So we'd been long distance dating for three years and I moved there and then we got married a couple years later. Um, and went directly into full-time ministry. So as, as, as a 19-year-old, I was a youth pastor. Um, and our church was a, like a really fast-growing church. So it was a church of maybe 500, 1,000 people when I first got there. And we moved away about four years later, maybe five years later, and it was about 5,000 people. So it was, it grew mm. really, really fast. Um, the mega church lifestyle is its own 
um, its own culture. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So we, we, we lived in Florida until our, our first son was born and then we moved to Chicago and went, went and worked at another mega church, one of the biggest churches in the country. So we were just inundated with mega church life. Like mm. we didn't know anyone and didn't do anything outside of the mega church life at all for literally for over a decade. So. Which would be why I attended youth specialties and yes. you were on the roster. Yes, that's right. That's ours so was all small town yeah, right, churches. Right, right. So yeah, we the mega the churches end. get all the attention, even though it's yeah. like the smaller churches that are actually doing really good work. So, well, I, I'll, I should say maybe not good work, but you know what I mean. <laughs> work. Yeah, just work. Leave it at work. A lot of work. How about that? <laughs> with a lot yeah. of, with, with a lot of le- less resources than a mega church. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, so I, as I just, I'm going to kind of put words in your mouth here, you and your husband, Josh had something you were doing together. This was something that was a a work and a, and a lifestyle and a, a a way of moving your life forward. You were in this together. Mm -hmm. Um, was this something you, uh, sought to do together or was this something that just kind of happened? This was a Hmm. goal of yours. Yeah. Great question. I think probably a little bit of both. I don't, I, I didn't, I didn't grow up with parents that really instilled in me, like, um, any kind of vision for my future or like what my career was going to be. Or I, so I didn't really spend much time thinking about that. Um, as a teenager, um, I knew that I wanted to be in Christian ministry. Um, that was something that I knew. I, I didn't think it was going to be the lo- from a local church perspective, but, Um, that's what it ended up being. So yeah, Josh and I kind of, um, fell into it together. I mean, we both, we both found kind of our sweet spots as far as student ministry goes and, um, you know, really had a lot of fun doing, doing the work and growing, growing the ministry. And I, I'm a, I, I, I will still say this. I'm a pastor at heart. I love to, to shepherd mm. people. I love to come alongside people and help them see who they really are. So at the time I did that through the lens of Christianity. Um, and I really loved it. It was, it was, it was less of a, of a job for me and more of like a calling and a vocation. Like mm. it was something that I really wanted to give my, my life to. I, I imagined me, I imagined me doing some kind of ministry, some form of ministry for the rest of my life. So um, it was truly even more than a calling. It was also an identity. Like it was something Mm -hmm. that I didn't know who I was outside of that kind of work. Um, so it became very, like my whole identity was wrapped up in the ministry that we were doing. Um, and like I said, we didn't know other people that were outside of the ministry. We didn't, we literally, I, I had lots of jobs that I worked because I obviously never got paid as much as the men around me did. So I was always, always doing other jobs that, um, that, that could help me pay the bills. Um, but other than, other than people that I worked with, like at restaurants and stuff, I didn't know anyone that wasn't a Christian. I didn't know anyone that wasn't in, in the ministry. It was a, it was an absolute bubble that we lived in. So yeah, we kind of fell into it and it became, the thing that we wanted to do for the rest of our lives. And Josh being a a white cis heterosexual man was climbing the ladder of influence in the Mm. Christian world. So that was always a source of pain between the two of us because I was doing just as much work as he was. Um, And in fact, I was more of a pastor than he was. He was more of a teacher and he could teach and he could preach um, but he would get paid for being a pastor seven days a week when often I was doing more pastoring than he was. So, 
Um, that was always a source of pain, but so we, so that that's kind of why the, the, it was, it was a calling, it was an identity, but it was also a career. We really wanted to build mm-hmm. our careers and we would really wanted to put deep roots into this as our job and as our, as our calling for our life. Well, um, gosh, I have so many questions for you in yeah, a limited amount of time, but I, as you talk about that kind of climbing that ladder, I, I remember a couple of times Casey came to me and he goes, I think I just saw Josh's name mm-hmm. on an album as a producer. So he got into music production and stuff yeah. too, right? Yeah. So that actually was, you know, looking back on it now, I see that, you know, the the forces of the universe were working, <laughs> working on our behalf to, to get us out of the church. Um, he, when I, when, when I, when I first met him, he was a musician and he, that's kind of what he wanted to do. He mm-hmm. wanted to be. he wanted to be a Christian musician. So, um, he, um, when, when I moved to Florida, he was in a band and he thought that was going to be his ticket out of Florida and kind of, you know, he was going to move to Nashville and make it big. So he always really loved music and the music scene. Um, I told him at one point, if you want to have a a girlfriend or a wife, who's a roadie and who's going to like work your merch table, then you got the wrong girl. <laughs> I'm not going to be doing that. Um, cause I got, I got, I got a calling here. I got to be in ministry. Yeah. So that was a, that was kind of a source of tension for us a little bit, but, um, but so he was always into the music scene. And even when we became pastors, he, um, he had, he, he met someone that was, um, wanted to start a record label. So they started a record label together on the side. So they were, you know, mm-hmm. finding bands and investing in bands and kind of, you know, helping, trying to get bands signed to major, like upsell them to major labels. So he always, lo- he, when he stopped being in a band and he gave full-time, to, his full-time to ministry, he was doing music business on the side. Mm-hmm. That's um, because he just really loved it. So yeah, so that was kind of the start of him really like learning music business because he started a record label and he didn't know what he was doing. He was just making it up as he went. But then he started getting to know people in the industry. So it kind of led him once once he left the church and he left the church, which is a whole a whole story in and of itself. He left the church after I did. Um and he didn't know what he was going to do. And he immediately got contacted by the guy that he started the record label with to be to start managing bands. So he didn't have much of a lull in between. It was kind of like he went from pastor to music and he's been doing music for the last, I don't know, probably 12 years or so. So, okay. So you uh, kind of mentioned there that you yeah. jumped out before yeah. him. Yeah. So, okay. I'm, I'm going to just backtrack. You're a mom of three. Yeah. Um, oh, yes, I was a mom of three at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you're you're managing all of this at the same time. You know, yeah. growing a family up, and yep. you guys finding your way in your own voices. Each of you yep. having your own thing as well. Yep. Um. So, what was this? What was this for you that you said it's time for me yeah. to move out of this when it was something you were? Yeah you know, chasing in a sense. Sure. No, I, I mean, I was giving my entire life to it. Like I threw my entire self into it. Um, so it was a couple things. Um, it's taken me years to identify them specifically for, for many years, it was very convoluted and I, and I, it was just a lot of pain and a lot of trauma. And I just, Mm -hmm. you know, it was just a lot of grief and a lot of anger. Um, so it's taken me years to kind of parse it out, but now looking back on it, I would, I can say it kind of boiled down to like two or three specific things. One was from the very beginning of my 
um, of my start in professional ministry, the way that women were treated was absolutely appalling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was justified by scripture. It was justified by, yeah. well, the Bible says this very clearly, which the Bible doesn't say anything very clearly. So the fact that anyone <laughs> can say that is they haven't read the Bible, apparently, I don't know. But um, so the way that they treated women and specifically the way that they treated me as a woman, I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm an Enneagram eight, I'm an ENTJ on the Myers-Briggs. I am very, um, very articulate, very well-spoken, very um, opinionated. I, you know, justice is kind of like my thrust in life. So right and wrong is very important to me. Mm. Um, integrity is very important to me. So when I would speak, I would speak with authority. And that was very rare in a Southern church where right. a lot of people grew up Southern Baptist. So the way that the way that the church treated women was really, really um, something that eventually it became a deal breaker for me. I, I mm. thought I, with the, I'll, I'll mention a couple of things as well that were also deal breakers, but at the time I thought I can influence it from the inside. I can, I can help change how, you know, the reputation of the mm. church, I can help change the behavior of the church. Um, because, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm a good leader. I'm a, I'm great at my job and they'll eventually see that and they'll, it'll help them change their minds. I was woefully wrong about that. The more, the more, the more skills that I built as a pastor, the more I was in trouble constantly for being um, too much. Mm. You know, the phrase, the phrase "too much" was it was a mm-hmm. big phrase for me. Yeah. I'm too much this. I'm too much that. Um, so the yeah, so the treatment of women was um, a deal breaker for me. Um, the treatment of the LGBTQ community was another yeah. deal breaker for me. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't realize that at the time I didn't know I was queer because I grew up as a good Christian girl that, you know, I was boy crazy when I was at, when I was in mm-hmm. middle school and in high school. So it never even occurred to me to, to, to think or to wonder about being queer. Um, I look back now, I do what's called queer archaeology and I like go back to memories and I'm like, did I like that girl? Or did I just think that like, did I have a crush on her or were we just friends? And for the most part, mo- the majority of my friends, especially all of the friends that you and I know, Jessica, yeah. it was all just, just platonic. <laughs> and, I, and I've gone through each one thinking like, maybe I actually really did have a crush on them. No, I did. And I didn't have a crush on them, but yeah. so I didn't know I was queer at the time. But I started to, I, I had a couple, a couple family members that came out. Um, and one of them in particular, I was close with, and I didn't know how to have conversations with him about what I believed, Hmm. um, because I was told that it was wrong. I was told it was an abomination and it was sinful. Um, and yet here I am sitting in front of a cousin of mine who I just think is the shit. And I'm like, how could, I don't understand how, how can I justify what I (laughs) believe? And I use air quotes around that even though, you know, I didn't necessarily believe it. It just was the belief of people around me. But I was the kind of Christian that was like, well, if the Bible is clear on this, then I need to understand the Bible. And I started to do my own research and my own study. And the Bible was far from clear on it. And the information that we have as Christians is is just absolutely embarrassingly outdated and and wrong. It's just wrong. Yeah. So um, so the truth is more, it's actually even more than wrong. And I know you know this. It's, um, I I think it borders depending on how it's being um, handled um, or distributed in a church. It borders on hate and it borders on um, destructive and abusive. And I don't think it borders on it. It is absolutely, it's justified hate. And I, Mm -hmm. I couldn't, 
I couldn't justify it. Once as, as a Christian, I, and I, and I really saw myself as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. And I, once I did my own theological research and I realized that the Bible doesn't say what we think that it says, I was now labeled as a liberal Christian who, yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was a liberal Christian who was supportive of gay people. And that was just unheard of in my circles. Like Mm -hmm. you can't talk about it, especially as my husband's trying to climb the influential ladder of right. Christianity. I can't, I, and I, and I'm, and I'm never good at being quiet. So <laughs> I'm, I would talk about it and I was always in trouble. I was always being talked about. Um, so yeah, that just became a deal breaker for me where I was like, you know, at the end of the day, I can't tell people I'm a Christian anymore because then they'll automatically think that I am against the LGBTQ community. And the, the, this community became a huge part of my life. Like for the first time in my life, I was becoming really good close intimate friends with with people who were queer and they were amazing and they were changing <laughs> my life and right. you know I I I just couldn't I couldn't even I, I I couldn't tell them that I was a Christian I couldn't even say I'm a follower of Jesus because they would automatically think that I was going to be against them in some way right. which to that that was just a that was a no-brainer for me like if I can't even confess that anymore I can't tell people yeah. that anymore then am I, am I still a Christian? Like, why, why am I doing this? Um, I don't, I don't know about you, but I hit this, um, I hit this point where I found that my friends in the queer community, um, were so authentic about Mm -hmm. who they were and they had struggled so hard to get to that place Mm -hmm. of being so honest and true to the community around them and to themselves. And, um, one, it was incredibly appealing to be around people who are that authentic yeah. But I what it was, it was a mirror to how inauthentic I was. Mm, to wow. how much I wasn't aligning with everything yeah. that I was professing. Right. And so that was a it was a very um pivotal um, I think that community was very pivotal in uh where I went with yeah. um Christianity and our work in the church. Yeah. Um and I just am so drawn to uh the queer community simply for that fact alone is just like, it's a breath of fresh air to be around people who are like, no, this is who I am. "Ah." Yeah. And for people to be that authentic and to be that truthful against all odds. And against a lot of risk relationships, everything. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so that, that was the second deal breaker for me. And then the third deal breaker was, um, I, I, my my final years in Christian ministry were either as a missions pastor or I did consulting outside of, outside of the church and mm-hmm. I did consulting with nonprofits, um, specifically around um, you know justice issues with people who are extremely poor for, from around the world. And in that in that process, I had my own very very rude awakening because I'd been I'd been doing missions work in some of the poorest areas of the world my most of my life. Mm-hmm. I had been exposed to a lot of extreme poverty poverty and all the things that come with that. Um, and you know, as I became as I continue to build mm-hmm. authentic relationships with with people who are authentically living on less than two dollars a day they kept telling me things that I didn't want to hear about the treatment of Christian of white Christians mm. um, to it was, it was embarrassing that I was aligning myself with people who had been harmful, who were trying to help, but instead of being helpful, were harmful. And 
you know, I couldn't be, I could, uh, over time, I couldn't, I couldn't justify the idea of evangelism anymore. I couldn't justify mm-hmm. the idea of we're going to help you build this school or we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to bring police officers and, and lawyers and, and raid this brothel so that you can be free of sex trafficking. But we're going to have to tell you about Jesus first or after, and we want you to pray this prayer. So there was always this mm-hmm. kind of um, carrot on a oh, stick. Oh, and you need to wear these clothes now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it just, yeah. I, so as I, as I was having my own very violent awakening towards like justice issues, I was realizing how harmful my behavior was and how I was the leader of, um, you know, in a, in a mega church setting, I'm dealing with millions of American dollars. I'm dealing with thousands of volunteers and I'm realizing the damage that I'm causing. And it was really, really a violent awakening for me. And then when I st- finally stood up and said, enough is enough, we're not doing this anymore. That was the end for me. So that mm. was literally, that was the, that was the final straw for the, the, the pastors and the elders. I, I literally got, <clears throat> I got a cease and desist letter from the, the, <laughs> the pastor and the elders of my church. And by the way, the pastor was my father-in-law. So that's always nice when your wow. family is sending you cease and desist letters. But because I was mentioned in a couple different books about talking about the damage that our church is doing, and they were like, you're not allowed to speak about what we're, what we're doing unless it's in a good light. And I just was like, sorry, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I, and I'm the chief among sinners here. Like I'm the one that created this whole process and this whole system for our specific church and I'm perpetuating harm and I just can't do it anymore. So those were the three things for me that were the final straws. And I literally, it, it was a, it was a very violent ending. I, I packed up my office in the middle of the night one night and I never went back. So mm-hmm. it was. It was a, it was a tearing and a ripping. I didn't know who I was after that for many years. And I just really had to do a lot of, um, you know, I got, I got diagnosed with CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And just like, you know, being in that environment, my entire life has, it took a toll on me and my, my mental health suffered greatly as a result of it. So um, I'm so glad that I got out. I'm so glad that I left, but I wouldn't wish that journey on my worst enemy. It was really, really intense. It was intense to come away and realize, you know, another thing that happened at the, at that time of me leaving, I left suddenly and I didn't realize it at the time, how, how much that would affect my everyday social and relational life. Mm-hmm. The 99% of those people that I was living my life with, who are my close, close personal friends who I considered family, we would vacation together. We're raising each other's children. Like right. they've never spoken to me since. So it's literally like just, I left and it was like, I stopped existing. So talk about, you know, you said when you started becoming friends with the LGBT community and you're like, wow, these people are so authentic talk about a lack of authenticity, authenticity. like yeah. literally there they, they we are promising each other devotion and loyalty and friendship and 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 familial bonds and the second i said i'm not a christian anymore that was all gone so it was yeah. a wild ride for sure i i really connect with you on the identity piece and obviously the social piece i'm not sure you can make that kind of a shift in um evangelical Christianity and not have a social disruptance at large, you know? Yeah. But the identity part, that's a tough one. That's at the core of who you are and what you 
passion for and so much of your identity, specifically if you are working for the church or for a parachurch ministry, is about the passions that you have Mm -hmm. for humans, Mm -hmm. right? And learning how to shift that love and passion for humans into a different vein. I imagine you couldn't escape that, but it had to shift for you. So what was that for you? Well, you know, to be honest with you, it was, uh, it was deep wells of pain because I realized how manipulative my Mm. passion for humans was, that it was Ah. that my passion for helping people always came with the, the pillar of my faith, which is that there's only one way and that, that Jesus is the only way. So everyone else that doesn't believe that that fundamental truth that I believed was wrong. And you cannot approach human relationships with power disparities like that. Mm-hmm. That I was always, I, I my, just, just by believing what I believed and having the faith and, 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 and living the faith that I lived, I was putting myself above humans in general. If you didn't believe what I believed, I was above you. I had the truth and you didn't. Mm. And that was really, really hard to come to terms with because I, I genuinely felt passion for people. I genuinely felt like right. I wanted to help people and to, and to see what your you know, to see your best intentions and to, to look at the underbelly and go, oh my gosh, there's some pretty nasty things going on inside of what I believe to be good. Um, that was a really, really hard a hard season of me just taking a look in the mirror and being like, I, I I do love people and I am passionate about them, but I have done it in such a manipulative way my entire life. And so now how do I even relate to the world? How do I even begin to build authentic relationships? I thought I had them and now I'm realizing that they were hollow. Hmm. And, you know, when you're, when you're in it, it, and everyone around you is in it. It doesn't feel hollow. It feels so real and so true and so good. Um, and just to, to have real and true and good things be kind of turned inside out and see what's on the inside was really, really, really uh, disturbing for me. I, I sat on, on a therapist couch for many, many years, just weeping yeah. about how I didn't know how to relate to the world anymore. I didn't know how to have relationships. Um, and, you know, the, the good, the, the silver lining in that is that, you know, through the help of therapists and through the help of, you know, other mostly queer people who came alongside of me during those times, it, you know, I was able to start rebuilding my life and, 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 and do it on purpose. I was born mm-hmm. into this faith. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't have a choice. I, I became a Christian because my parents were Christians and I became a missionary because they wanted me to be. Yeah. So I didn't have a choice. And I, for the first time in my, you know, early thirties, I all of a sudden was like, for the first time making choices on purpose for my life. And it felt, it felt really, um, it felt really freeing and wonderful, but also like, it's like a, it's like an awkward adolescent. Like you, you just, your, your features are too big for your face. You don't know, you don't know how to make it all make sense. Wow. How did, how did you and Josh navigate through that? Ooh, that was rough. That was really, really rough that we, we high five each other all the time that we are still, we're still married (laughs) after that season. 
Um, he was nowhere near where I was when it came to um, deconstructing faith. He mm -hmm. didn't really have an interest in doing that. He was getting rewarded for his faith and getting rewarded mm -hmm. for the work that he was doing. Um, so he didn't have a reason to um, kind of start questioning it all. Right. Um, the way that I did. So that was a re those were rough years because by the time I left and, and again, I, I left our, our mega church that his, his parents were the pastors and founder, the founders and pastors of. So this wasn't just a job for us. This was our actual like family. Flesh life. family. Yeah. Um, we never did anything outside. Uh, like our family dinners always revolved around what's going on at the church. Yeah. Like we, it was just truly just every aspect of our lives and how hard, it, how hard we, it, we had to navigate those years of the fact that I left the church and the church is now considered my enemy. And Josh is going to work for the enemy every day and is signing his paycheck every day with, you know, that's, that's paying our bills. So <laughs> Those were some intense years, but eventually Josh kind of came to the conclusion, like, okay, our, my marriage has already fallen apart. We're kind of sticking together, like, you know, because we, we don't want to be divorced and we have these three kids and, you know, what are we, what are we trying to do here? And he finally started to come to like, it was his reason to start questioning, like, do I want my marriage or do I want this thing that I've always been told that I should want? Um, and that was the beginning of his deconstruction is I don't want to lose my marriage. So what do I do? Um, and eventually he left and it was, you know, the, it was the hardest thing that he's ever done. Um, he left without knowing what was going to happen next. But at the end of the day, I, I know that he is, he is glad that he did. And it took us, it took us a good, I would say a, a good five years after he left for our marriage to kind of find the upswing again. It was a, it was a rough go for many, many years because I, I had been deconstructing and then I fully deconstructed after leaving. Cause I was still a Christian when I left, I was mm -hmm. just like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to leave the church, but I'm still going to be a Christian. Cause it's but leaving a job at that point too. Yeah. Right. right. Exactly. So I was still, I was still very committed to being a Christian, but after I left, it was just, you know, a, a pretty quick unravel for me. Like once, once my community completely abandoned me, I was like, Oh wow. I really have no reason to, no reason to, to stay here. To yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, once I had fully deconstructed and once I started identifying that I wasn't a Christian, that was where Josh really was like, Oh my God. Like, I mean, we, when we were 16, we believed that God told us that we were going to get married and spend the rest of our lives together and do ministry forever. We believed that that was the foundation of our relationship. Like if we didn't have that, then what the, what the hell were we doing? Like, so right. it was, yeah, it was really, it was really intense. So my, you know, we have to deconstruct our own identities throughout the process, but then we have to deconstruct the identity of our marriage and our relationship. And like, what are we going to do with our lives now that this, this isn't, you know, this isn't the, the thing anymore. So, um, yeah, it took a, it took us a while to recover lots and lots of marriage, marriage counseling over, over the deconstruction of our faith for sure. So, where, where are you guys at now? Where does yeah. that put, I mean, I know that's a big jump, a big spread, Yeah. but I'm sure that that, that process is, if it's like what Casey and I have done, it's, there's gradual pieces and then there's big mm -hmm. leaps at times. And then there's yeah. these little gradual pieces, yeah. but where does, where does that set you guys right now? Who are you right now? Well, I mean, I'll answer this from a spiritual perspective because spirituality is still a very core aspect of of who I am and how I kind of interact in the world. 
um, I'm a full on witch now. <laughs> like I realized, I, I, I realized I was just talking to Josh about this the other day. I've always been a witch. When I was a Christian, I was a witch. And that was one of the reasons why I was always in trouble because I've always been very mystical and very spiritual. And a lot of, a lot of fundamental evangelicalism, you just, there's no room for the mysticism and the yeah. mystery. Of, right. of faith and of spirituality. So, but I've always been that way. So, I mean, the, the way that I practice my spirituality now is honestly, I mean, this, a lot of people get freaked out by this, but it's through witchcraft and it's through like the actual, the, I mean, the, the, the idea of magic in the world to me is so compelling because there's so many things that we just can't explain. And I have a lot of gifts and I have a lot of talents that I can't explain that are just part of who I am that were given to me th from my ancestors. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I operate in the world now through my own spirituality is, is really kind of leaning into like the mysticism of my ancestors. I'm learning a lot about my the indigenous roots that, mm -hmm. that I've been disenfranchised from. So as I get older and my kids get older, I'm super, super like wanting to like, just try to connect to the roots of who I am because I didn't get that. I was, my parents became born again, fundamentally evangelical Christians before I was born and they left the roots of, right. their, of their lineage. So um, I didn't have any of that. So now I'm kind of putting the pieces together now. And, you know, Josh, I don't know, Josh would have to speak for himself, but you know, he has deconstructed quite a bit as well. I don't know. I don't know how he would identify, but I know he doesn't identify as a Christian anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but he, I think in this next season of his life, his spirituality is kind of coming again to the forefront. It just takes some time. You kind of got to just like wash that out of your hair and kind of, I mean, for a while I tried to be an atheist. I tried to like be like, well, there's just no such thing as God. And I just, it didn't work for me to be an atheist. Mm -hmm. um, although I think it works for a lot of people to be atheists. But for me, I'm like, there's just, there's something so compelling about magic and I can't, I can't, and, and love is magic. And so if love is magic and magic is love, then I, that's my spirituality. That's, right. that's, the deity of I I'm, I'm a goddess worshiper, anything that's of the divine feminine, that mm. that is kind of what I connect to. And Josh is a goddess worshiper as well. So he, I don't know how he would identify, but I know that he worships women like you wouldn't believe. So to me, I'm like, we're on the same page. Finally, after many, many years of being on different pages, we're on the same yeah. page that the divine feminine is where it's at. I had, um, a life coach, um, who, um, has gone through the kind of a similar journey to, you know, entrenched in Christianity to leaving. She left, um, Christianity and even into, um, the queer community was part of her journey through. And, um, one of the things that I find really exciting about her stories is that she's able to find those morsels of what was good, mm -hmm. even in, even in the thing that she left. Yes. And that's what I'm hearing you say is yeah. that there was this the this space of spirituality yeah. and of mystic, a part that we are drawn to in Christianity about God, um, yeah. is is still this thing that was in you, probably the thing that drew you in yeah. to all of it in the first place. Yeah. I totally connect with that. It's the one piece that I keep holding on to myself is yeah. this um I'm finding I probably align more with being a mystic than anything mm -hmm. at this point. Although yeah. I'm working really hard to stay away from any labels because I really <laughs> fucking hate labels. No, I know. But, hard. It's but, really hard. Yeah. But it's, um, but it's this, there's these pieces, these veins that you know from when you were little, from when you were a child that are just part yeah. of who you are. Yeah. 
And I so admire that um, desire to tap back into really for you, a lost part of who you were with the way that it wasn't just brought through your family Um, and to rediscover who, who is all of this, all this good that I took with me through this journey. What is that? And that's exciting to me. That's just, um, it is exciting. Yeah. Leaving Christianity for me, you know, one of the tenets of fundamental evangelicalism is less of me, more of God. And, you know, leaving Christianity for me, I found me because I wasn't allowed to have me before. I wasn't allowed to know me. Um, You know, we're taught in in fundamentalism that that our righteousness, the best that we have to offer is like filthy rags compared to God and, and God's perfection. And, you know, the, the, the self-loathing that comes with that kind of belief system where nothing I can do is good. It's all seen as filthiness and leaving that behind, I discovered myself and I discovered that I am good and I discovered that I am loving and I'm kind, um, on my own, apart Mm. from anyone else having to make me that way, that I am just that that's who I am. And that is a freedom that I would hope for everyone that we would be able to meet our, our truest selves. I I really do believe that even the, the most, the most mentally ill people amongst us, um, the, 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 you know, people who are caught up in the criminal justice system, the people that are the outcasts of society, we all have our truest selves and mm-hmm. to meet our truest selves and to be connected to our truest selves is what real freedom is actually about. And that's what I hope for people. And, and that's, it was a, it was a, a long and very painful journey to myself, but I found myself and it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to live from self. Well, I am realizing as we talk that we probably have more in common than we don't. Yeah. And even after all of these years and because that's wild. Because you're as you talk it's like my soul connects. Like mm-hmm. this this is language I know. My soul yeah. knows your language. Yes, that's right. And I think that the this idea that we were so bad we were mm-hmm. not enough and we were too much mm-hmm. um, to be able to walk into life from um, the place of, no, I am good. Mm-hmm. And I like the gifts that I have. I like mm-hmm. the strengths that I have. Um, I'm aware of the things that hold me back. Yeah. Um, th- that makes that makes it kind of uh, endless. I, I often... Um, I had somebody ask me the other day, are you a Christian or not? Because you kind of talk like on both sides of that. And I'm like, well, if I'm talking to you um, <laughs> as a Christian, like you're a Christian, I'm talking to you. I, I know enough there. Know we can have the, we can have yeah. this conversation. And, and if we're not, then I'm really okay not having that conversation. But, mm-hmm. but if we're going to have that conversation, this idea, and this was the, this was the turning point. One of the turning points for me was, this um, this um, fragmenting of myself, mm. that there is a spiritual self and there's a physical yeah. self and there's my mental health self and there's, right. you know, relational and all of that, but that they're not really allowed to connect to each other. Nope. And yet you tell me that God lives in me 
Right. And so <laughs> it's just like these mental gymnastics that I Which just Which part of me does God live in? <laughs> I don't really know. So um, the mental gymnastics I was done with. I was mm-hmm. I was just absolutely done having that conversation in my own head anymore. Mm-hmm. And that ability to just walk forward and um, in peace with, you know what, these was this is who I always was. Yeah. Or this is who I always well. <laughs> now I'm not, who I was, um, yeah, who, I, who I always have been, have been, and yeah. um, and I realized that I worked really hard to eradicate that part of myself for the sake mm. of my faith, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that's the part that the divine actually birthed in me. Like those yeah. were the things that Absolutely. I was always meant for, right? Yeah. So. So what is it that you're, what are you doing now? You're, you're moving from Sacramento to LA. I, I know little bits of following your story about how brilliant a cook you are. And, (laughs) um, and I'm trying to catch up, but I feel like your life is changing a lot lately. So I don't know where you are. And I've done, like, I've lived a million lifetimes in this lifetime. So, um, so I, yeah, I have been a chef for the last six years. Um, it took me a while after I left ministry to figure out what the hell I wanted to do. I just yeah. like, I don't even know. It took me a couple of years to kind of, I did, I, I was a stay at home mom for a couple of years and I am not a stay at home mom, <laughs> like, but <laughs> not in my, in my DNA to be a stay at home mom. So I was, I did that for a couple of years just to kind of get my bearings and be like, okay, you know, I was deconstructing so much and there was just, yeah, it was, it was an unearthing of every aspect of who I was. So it took me a couple of years, but I became a chef and, um, I, yeah, I, I don't actually know. So we're moving to LA because of Josh's career. He's in the music industry still, and he's doing really, really well. He's opening up, um, the company that he works for is based in Nashville. So he's opening up an LA office. So we're really excited about that, but I don't know. The future is kind of a blank canvas for me. Um, I'm, I just recently shut down my business that I, um, have, have owned here for the last six years, um, so that we can move to LA. So I don't know, I might start an, I might start an LA chapter of the, of the restaurant Mm -hmm. that I was, that I'm, that I owned or, something else. I don't know. I'm also a doula. So I I love to help people give birth to human little babies. So I don't know. I love to travel. I I mean, the sky's the limit at this point. I'm, I'm trying to think of this as like a fresh start and be like, okay, kind of like similar to when I left the church, like, what do I want to do? And Mm -hmm. what choices do I want to make that are on purpose for me that are not about Josh? They're not about the kids. They're not about, you know, a church or a community, but they're about me. And and what do I want to do? And what, what do I want to give my time to? I, I feel like that, you know, it's a huge privilege that I have to be able to even ask that mm-hmm. question. So I want to use my privilege wisely and spend it on, you know, on my family and spend it on my community. So we'll see. I mean, stay tuned. I have no yeah. idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, I am way ahead of you in the game of empty nesting, although my nest isn't very empty right now. <laughs> yeah, but... your nest got some extra, extra <laughs> yeah, goodies. Yeah, it gets added to. I'm not really sure what's going on here. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I kind of feel the same way. Like this is the, the, the next thing and I get to invent it the way that I want to and that aligns with me. And, um, and I think that's an exciting space to be, um, Scary, scary place to be too. It is scary because I feel like I'm standing on the edge of the cliff right now and we'll we'll see. Yeah. Um, I, I also want to just, you know, applaud you for your vulnerability. I, I know you don't have to do this on social media, 
-hmm. but you have chosen to be very honest about your story, Mm -hmm. um, about your struggles, about, Mm -hmm. um, particularly about mental health and Mm -hmm. how, uh, social constructs and how all of that works with us as individuals. And, um, honestly, it's a, it's a breath Mm -hmm. of fresh air, but you're incredibly articulate, um, -hmm. in a way that I go, yeah, I get that. I get what you're saying. That makes Mm -hmm. sense. Um, and, uh, and I think that, um, it takes, um, maybe those justice minded people Mm -hmm. to jump out there and say, you know, I have to advocate for all of this too. And yeah. you're choosing to be incredibly vulnerable with yourself. And, um, m- my watching you over the years has been that I, I expect you a bit to be an open book, mm-hmm. but you don't have to be, you're choosing mm-hmm. to do that. And yeah. I, yeah. I'm just curious as we, as we wrap up here, I, yeah. I'm curious, why do you choose, uh, mm. that avenue for some of the most intimate things in your life? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the phrase that comes to mind right now is, is, is because it matters. It matters to me. Um, and I know that some of the most transformative, um, moments of my life have been inspired by and have been challenged from other people who are living their life vulnerably. Um, I, you know, I, I am, I am, in, I am very articulate in how I express my, my innermost world. Um, and that's because other people have been articulate. Mm. Um, and, I, and I have sat at the feet of other people and been like, oh, that's how you say what I feel. Oh, that's okay. That's it. I now know how I feel. I didn't know how I felt before, but when you mm. just used that phrase or when you just said that sentence, it clicked for me. And that's why I do it. I do it because it matters. And I, I, I know that it matters to me and I know that I'm not alone. So the, to just kind of you, to use my social media platforms as a way to connect with whoever is listening, here's what I'm going through. Here's what I've been Mm -hmm. thinking. Here are my musings. Um, it's not going to connect with every, any with everyone. And in fact, it makes a lot of people really mad. Um, I, but you know what? Over the years, I've had enough um, back and forth with with a lot of people on social media that for the most part, they kind of leave me alone these days. (laughs) Every once in a while, I'll get like a little bit of yeah, but or well, actually, but for the most part, I kind of get left alone when when people I I do have a lot of hate followers. I'm pretty sure I still I Mm. see a lot of people from from old evangelical days that still follow me. And I'm like, why are you doing this to yourself? (laughs) Right. Why are you torturing yourself like this? But, you know, I, I just, but for the people that it does connect with, I feel like it is a part of, it's a part of how I show myself that my story matters. And by saying it out loud and by sharing it with other people, it really does help solidify the lessons that I've learned. And, you know, um, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm more than grateful when it does land and it does connect with people because I know what that feels like when it mm-hmm. has landed and connected with me from other people. So that's why I do it. Well, your recent ones have uh, connected well with me. You gave words to things that I didn't have words for. So thank Good. you for that. Um, yeah. um, and thank you for sharing your story. I know because uh, I, I know other other veins of our stories of just how we connected. There's so much more to you I know. than we'll what have we to do talked this again, about. I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, 
it's exciting, but I feel like we've just touched the surface. Um, yeah, I, but I, I appreciate the vulnerability that um, that you did have with me today and uh, sharing um, your story because I think it's um, I think you gave words today to people who um, are experiencing something similar. Um, and wouldn't I'm, that be lovely? I hope so. Yeah, yeah. So um, if. Uh, if we want to chat again, I'm just gonna yeah. I'm just gonna text you and say, hey, exactly. let's just get on yeah. here and we'll just recap everything about life, um, yes. and we won't record I love it. it. <laughs> we'll just keep it yes, for ourselves. I love it. I love it. I want to do that. Okay. Absolutely. So, well, thank you again, and um, and happy travels with your thank new home. you. Thank you for having me, Jessica. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening, and may you keep connecting all the beautiful parts of you.